Kilo Vault. Oh! Ah! I'm afraid to trust the razor that close to my face! Opens now. Welcome in uh, the Kilo Vault. We got a special guest this week. Uh, it's me, Ross, and Sean Rock back in first time, long time. <laughs> in a while. But what, it's how, be back. what do you think about the vault now? We put some, uh, you know, some tapestries up. Yeah. We got a water machine in the corner there. It's it's feeling a little head shoppy, but I like it. We're looking for a beer fridge. <laughs> if anyone knows a small beer fridge, we have one. We have that Fender one. Bring it in. Bring here. it in. <laughs> uh, we're bringing Sean in because she can shed more light on uh, our artist today. It's, it's Steve Perry of Journey Fame. And when I came across this interview with Bob and Steve, so we're talking uh, Keto Morning Show 4.0, mm-hmm. I remember on our first episode, we all talked about our first albums, and your first album was The Journey's mm-hmm. Escape, right? Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, one of three that I bought with my own your money. Own you know, money. When you, that's what you count as your first, right? Right, yeah. what You took your own hard-earned money, whatever you did, whether it was cleaning toilets for your grandma or picking up dog poop. I don't know. But you went to Sound Warehouse, and I'm saying me, and bought whatever albums were enticing you. Uh, you and were finally unchained. Journey's Escape was one of those. I stayed up all night reading because the insert had all the lyrics. <laughs> so word before all word. those songs were so popular like they are now, I had them memorized, man. And see, I had a different um, introduction to Journey because... Uh, my sister had that on 8-track, I remember. She had like an 8-track player with the turntable and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And I would snoop around when she was gone. Sure. Uh, I came across that. And yeah. the album cover, if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. It's this, this big orb and then something breaking free from it. It looks like a, a UFO kind of. Yeah, I was totally, like, this yeah. is going to be awesome. And then threw it in there and it's like, this could have been you. <laughs> it just didn't speak to me. But it shows that, you know. Every girl probably had that album. That was a huge, huge album. It was. And uh, it was definitely a little bit more, um, I don't know, It would I'd say 80s-ish, right? Yeah, like, we, compared you to- went through some of the songs. I was like, I know them all. I, you took me, I felt like I was in the back seat of my parents' car. <laughs> uh, you know, eight years old, 10 years old, whatever it was. Uh, because, you know, the hit after hit. It's weird now to listen to that album and you know, like, I still know every word to every song. And with the Sopranos using Don't Stop, you know, that brought it into a whole new crowd, like Metallica and and Stranger Things and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So so you've run down some of these songs like, oh man, yeah. Oh, I know that one, even though I don't know the band that much. It's like, I know all the songs. Absolutely. Everywhere. Absolutely. Well, big band for sure. But you're thinking this was Steve Perry solo? It it would have been because, you know, they, they broke up fairly early and I still... I was reading up on the band because, like I said, I'm fairly unfamiliar, and the breakup was fairly non-volatile. Just it was, a, I think, mm-hmm. as far as I can get a money thing, mm-hmm. right? I think so. And, yeah, but it's been an ongoing thing. As a matter of fact, they brought in new lead singers, and the band continues without, and, they, and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like there's ever going to be a reunion from mm-hmm. some of the stuff I read. Which is funny because we've seen bands that had horrible ends mm-hmm. get their big boy pants on eventually and get back together, but yeah, uh, I don't think we'll ever see Steve Perry. No. With, with with the journey, and he had that weird solo era though, like Oh Sherry, which you actually started singing. That was Oh Sherry. That was Steve Perry solo. Was that solo stuff. Yeah. Oh Sherry. <laughs> See, yeah. My, my, almost my knowledge comes from the movie Basketball. Have you ever seen that with Trey yeah. Parker? And they usually they trying to do these psychouts and that. It's like Steve Perry, Steve Perry. Here I come and get him. Yep. Uh, I do have a great story that I read in the, uh, there's a book out by the guy who managed Van Halen in the early days called Run With The Devil. Mm-hmm. And uh, Van Halen's big break was getting on that journey tour and right. getting you know, open up for journey. And uh, he talks about, we walked into the, the backstage area one time and it was just this deathly still. And all the guys were sitting around with these 
faces on, like someone just died. And he's like, what did you guys do? What happened? And he said on the wall was like a silhouette of a person and then guacamole. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, guys, what's going on? And David Ross like, Eddie guacamole Steve Perry. They were playing around with a bowl of guacamole, throwing it. And apparently Steve Perry, was they didn't know he was there, threw it and it hit him. And it splattered all over him. And the the manager was like, you guys were going to get kicked off this tour. This is a huge problem. Yeah. And he said, I went to the bathroom to, to help him. And there was Steve Perry gently weeping, trying to wipe the guacamole off his jacket. He said, I, I just bought this. Yeah. And, and, he's, and he goes on to say, Steve Perry is a very genuine, extremely sensitive man. He is. And yeah. I was like, oh, man. So I was thinking about that. I just bought this. And he is, but he also Hannah used to wear white pants a lot. So he I think probably- they said it was a white jacket. <laughs> He That's wore, funny. yeah, no, he wore like white a lot. Yeah, I so. don't wear white because I like mustard. <laughs> but I've always heard that about him and then, um, and that he was just really sensitive to a lot of things. Yeah, truly the case. Well, let's I, find out. I just want to say DLR could throw guacamole on me anytime. <laughs> I get guacked by anyone in Van Halen. <laughs> I know. Anytime. That's a story. And I want, if I ever get a chance to, to talk to Steve Perry, I can't wait to ask him that story. It's like, were you ever guacamole in the Van Halen camp? Uh, okay, so we don't know where this is exactly. We'll see if we can figure okay. it out for the interview. But we know it's Bob and Steve. So, like I said, that would have been uh, you know the fourth version of the Kilo Morning Show. Rich Hawk, Red Noise, who you're obviously mm-hmm. well familiar if you've uh, dived through episodes of The Vault. And then uh, after Red, it was uh, Bob Ely and Gary Street. And then Gary Street would move to Denver and get a news job up there. And then phew, Bob and Steve. It's amazing that it's been actually so little like people on the morning show. It really is, right? Yeah, it's awesome, man. It is cool. So let's check it out, man. Um, What year? We don't know. We know it's Bob, it's Steve, and uh, quality time with Steve Perry inside the Keto Vault. Kilo 94.3, it's 8.33, and uh, we'll do some journey there for you with Steve Perry up front. Since uh, this morning, we have a chance to talk to Steve Perry. And uh, how you doing, Steve? Hey, how's it going, Bob? Hey, we, Man, that is a good Boy, signal. that sounds good. Man. Isn't it amazing? We're via satellite, SATCOM 5. Jeez, it sounds like you're right in the next room. <laughs> That's cool, huh? Hey. So, I guess the main question, Steve, from uh, people been calling, they said, where have you been? For, for- well, you know, I was in Journey for 10 years, and that took me to the end of the uh, Raised on Radio tour, which ended in Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, I knew about two, three weeks before that tour was over that, that some of my fears uh, had been realized. And that was that I was really, really tired, and I was going to have to face the fact of telling the guys I had to stop. And and there was no easy way to do that because it was not going to be met with, you know, anything uh, supportive, I think. But I had to go. And so I left and um, took a couple of years off and didn't do much except enjoy the fact that I had my bed with my pillowcase and my toothbrush in the bathroom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got to see old friends and uh, kind of let the um, feet land back on the ground. And uh, they went on and did Bad English and some other projects. And, and as time went on, I started recording a little bit on my own. And I've got a lot of stuff saved, which I'm going to start releasing in certain ways here on B-Sides. And then I got to a point where I met uh, Paul Taylor. And that's a keyboard player, beautiful keyboard player. Just the inversions are really nice that he comes up with. And we started writing music. And that led to the guitar player, Lincoln Brewster, and Moyes Lucas on drums. And now the For the Love of Strange Medicine record. Oh. At, at what point? Now, this was 87 when the, the journey thing ended for you. Is that about right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. At what point did you say to yourself, you know, I think I can do another record, and I think it can be a good one? Um, 
it took a few years, honest. It, it took about three, maybe four years, because I, I creatively was sort of dry. I, I, think, I thought I had done everything and said everything I wanted to say that way. And so this record is, uh, is almost like a new, improved version of me, you know? Uh, I just feel refreshed as far as who I am and, and, and how I'm singing and, and what I want to say musically. All right, and, and uh, these guys that play on this record with you now, uh, I, I, let, me, let me get in the, the questions in the right order. Are there any tour plans yet? Uh, they're actually back there. All the guys we're talking about are back in Los Angeles rehearsing right now. And after I do my radio uh, promotion tour, which is talking to yourselves and others, I'll be back around the 1st of August to start uh, rehearsing and see what we put together. Maybe October, November. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and the guys on the record will be the guys on the tour then? Looks like it. Yeah, Good. All right. Well, it sounds great. What, Thanks. What, what can you tell us about some of the other tracks in the song? We are, we're in a situation here where we haven't had a chance to hear the whole record. We, of course, yeah, it come, well, it comes out this coming Tuesday for the love of Strange Medicine. And um, it's got all kinds of different things. It's got songs like You Better Wait, which is full and large and, and, uh, and layered kind of uh, sound. And then it's got open things like the Dallas Symphony, Tim Minor on piano, and myself singing. Um, it has all the in-between stuff, too. So, you know, it's that kind of a thing. But I can tell you that I used uh, James Jimbo Barton, who did all the Queensryche stuff, to help me produce the record and so all the material has a certain kind of a, of a of a aggressive texture to it which i like yeah now when you took your time off do you, do you listen to the radio at all to keep in contact with your friends to see what they were doing that's a good question my friend i did not listen to radio music or write songs or definitely didn't go to a studio for two years you just dropped out of it huh i had to afford myself all kinds of crazy thinking and some of the crazy thinking was that i was not going to sing again I was gonna. I had done it. I was in Journey, and I was grateful for everything I ever was uh, involved in, and sang and wrote with the guys. And maybe, maybe I had my turn. Wow, mm. that it takes quite a. That's quite a step, isn't it? To say well. Well, because I really felt I had to let this go if it was ever going to come back new. Well, wow. yeah. Sometimes you have to walk away from something to in order to come back fresh. Yes. Uh, tell me, Steve. Uh, one thing that I always was. Wondering about, especially whenever a, a large band, obviously a huge band such as Journey, goes through what you guys did. What's it like when you know? What's it like relationship-wise with the other guys in the band when you know it's about over? Well, obviously, about the last um, month or so. I mean, we were having a good time, but uh, I think it was the underlying obvious tension was there. You know, I mean, like any normal even relationship that you that you're in, if it's reaching a point where it has to change, then the tension increases. Mm -hmm. um, and there were times, um, we're just people, you know, and, and I'm, I'm no picnic in the park, and, and nobody was a day at the beach, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, there were times when we were like, you know, two dogs sneering over the same water bowl on the hot summer day, yeah. you know? But when I look back at it, in all honesty, 98% of the time, that I was in Journey, which was uh, uh, 10 years minimum, you know, and sometimes it feels like I'm still in the band because I hear the music on the radio, um, were, were the best times of my life, you know, 98% of the time. Wow. And now that you're back uh, and you are listening to the radio once again, who are you listening to? What, what bands that are out there right now really turn you on? I think uh, Pearl Jam's a real band. I, I admire them because they sound like a, a band, and I think Stone Temple Pilots are a great band. 
I like Nirvana. I love that one particular song, especially "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side spectrum, sometimes I'll listen to, depending on my mood, a Streisand record, and people are out there going, "You're out of your mind." But <laughs> it, you know, it depends what kind of mood I'm in. You know, then there's times I'll listen to one of my favorite singers right now is a guy by the name of Maxi Priest, and he. Um, He's got a song called Groovin' in the Midnight, which is just a fun song. And the album that that song's on is the song, is an album I take on vacation with me because it's got that kind of vacation mood to it. Hmm. Let me let me try a, a little, uh, a, I'm going to say one statement, Steve, and you give me your instant reaction to it, okay? 30, okay. 35 million Journey records sold. Uh, I see a McDonald's burger sign that says over 35 million sold. <laughs> <laughs> that is an incredible number of records. Yeah. Do you ever sit back and go, oh, I can't believe uh, people bought 35 million copies? Do you want to know I didn't know that till a year ago? Really? No, because uh, most of those are overseas. Uh, I would say maybe half of that or maybe three quarters of that is here. But there's a large number of that that was worldwide. So when they started tallying up the numbers, um, we really don't get paid for music that's, on, that's outside of the United States. You know, I mean, you get some, but nothing like, you know, hmm. it, it's a different thing. Oh, but, I didn't realize that. I guess it's pretty yeah. hard to translate their money into, into ours and then you yeah, get your share. Yeah, there's just, there's just too many people involved along the way, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's got to be really strange when you're, when you're touring overseas and you're playing in front of a bunch of, uh, you know, Japanese teenagers screaming the lyrics to your songs and that might be the only English they know. No, you'd be surprised. When Journey went to Japan back in the early 80s, they know English very well. Huh. They, they learn English uh, before. I guarantee you we learn Japanese. Sure. And, um, and they knew the lyrics of the songs. Even if they could not speak, they knew the lyrics of the music. If nothing else, they were phonetically enjoying them and then knew the interpretation uh, you know, underneath it. And it was really something to be there. And they, they were very enthusiastic audiences. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's get a couple more questions here, Steve, then we'll let you go. Okay, I just had one more question, Steve, and that is, you know, the, there must be a difference in, in, uh, in overall pressure. Uh, when, when you're in a band like Journey, it's, you're, you're almost, it's almost a, a, I hate to put it this way, but almost like a corporation. I mean, you're really expected to produce so much. What's the difference in expectation now when you're on your own as, as compared to when you were with Journey? Um, the Journey situation, the only corporate thing about Journey, and it, it used to get branded a bit by that, was that in America, um, whether you're a radio station or, or whether you're a young kid that's in college and you just decide you've invented something, in this country, so that you don't give all your earnings to the war machine, <laughs> you know, you have to incorporate. And it's just a normal thing so you can get a whole different tax structure so that you can see some of the, uh, some of the benefits of your hard work, you know, and then you decide to do whatever benefits you want to do to wherever when you get it. Uh, that's the only corporate part of it. Um, as far as um, my own personal thing, the pressure uh, in solo is a lot less, you're right, because in Journey, there was the entire band inter- interdependently on itself. You had all the perimeters of people interdependent on the band and their perimeters. So when it did, tie- when it did come time for me to leave, you know, I felt a lot of pressure, a lot of guilt, because so many people were affected mm-hmm. at that particular time by me leaving. But, you know, after being in the band for 10 years, I had to make a, a Steve life decision. 
Oh, you got to do what's right for you, no yeah. question about it. At some time, you you got to. Yeah. You know, it may be too early to ask this question, but I'll ask it anyway. And since everybody else is doing it, the Eagles getting back together, and it seems like uh, nostalgia is the wave here. Any any talk between you and any of the guys in, in Journey to uh, to get back and maybe tour a little bit? Well, right now, all my focus is really on For the Love of Strange Medicine. I've worked so hard to find the passion just to make this record, which started about a year ago. Um, and the people I'm working with are depending upon me right now, too. Um, I have to stay focused on this. I've heard rumor that they're getting together uh, without me. Um, and I think they have somebody singing already. Uh, I, I, all I can tell you is that I don't know the answer to that question. If I really knew what the future held beyond everything that's going on, even though I guess it does appear we're on our own journeys at this point individually, uh, I probably, if I had the answer to the future, then a lot of people would want to talk to me, I'll tell you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, we're going to crank up uh, You Better Wait. Anything you want to tell us about this, uh, this cool song? That song was written about a true situation about a 17-year-old girl I saw uh, on the corner of Highland and Vine Street in Hollywood, and she was having a rough time. Uh, she looked like she was doing things on the street that uh, she had to do to survive, and my mind was saying she looked uh, too run down uh, at that age, you know. And so also my mind started rolling to the fact that maybe she was a beauty queen in her small hometown and, and went to the city to, to follow her dream and maybe it just didn't work out. And also I started thinking maybe, maybe her pride won't let her go back, you know. So that when we started writing music for a song, which later became You Better Wait, uh, the first thing that came to mind was she was 17, a beauty queen. I met her in a magazine. And that was the beginning stages of the whole thing. Hmm. Wow. You get inspiration wherever you can find it, I guess, don't you? I do. I, I, my eyes are kind of open all the time, and I either write things down or I put them on a tape recorder somewhere. Yeah, that's great. Well, Steve, best of luck with the record. It will be in stores uh, Tuesday. And yes. then uh, your guys are rehearsing in, uh, in the Los Angeles area now for a possible tour here before too much longer, maybe before the end of the year, right? Yeah, we hope so. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Well, we're not promising anybody. We will promise that the record will be out Tuesday, right? The record is out Tuesday. All right. For the love of strange medicine. Okay. Thank you very much, Steve Perry. You better wait at Kilo 94.3. And there you have it. Quality time with Steve Perry. And we figured out. You sleuthed it out there, uh, Sean. So uh, we go to the album, which was almost released, uh, For the Love of Strange Medicine, 1994. 1994, imagine being Steve Perry solo in a year like that. Right. One of the greatest years for music in the 90s. The explosion of Seattle had just occurred, and that's why he dropped, you know, Pearl Jam and STP and, and that, that band Nirvana. I really that one song, what is it? Uh, smells Like Teen Spirit? <laughs> Which is well after wow. it had been out, but it was still just so huge. and Blow it up. Um, yeah, I, what an intelligent guy. Yeah, right, you he, can really tell the de decent, decent dude. Yeah, but uh, the most interesting thing is when, which I think he's told in other interviews about his two-year hiatus, but I later on, he did that all over again, I think, um, where he just kind of wouldn't record music. I think he got sick. So he's definitely one that, like, checks himself and, right. you know, and, has and control there, of his life. Is there something to 10 years? Did 10 years with Journey, and it was 10 years between his first... Uh, album with that Oh Sherry song mm -hmm. until this 94 release. That was, he didn't do anything. 10 years. 10 years. Because he had sold, what do they say, well, 35 million albums. He didn't need to work at all. Well, that, but also think about how Escape was this huge album. So they probably wrote a lot off of that one, but it still wasn't, didn't have that second wave yet, right? You said Escape was Diamond. So it's, it's now it's Diamond. Wow. So. <laughs> that's why they can do whatever they want. Is that, that's what they call it, uh, FU Money? 
F-U he's, money. He's got F-U money but for sure. That was sure. such a great interview. Yeah, really cool. And it was awesome because they were talking a lot about the, the fallout from Journey because that was a big part of the story. But mm-hmm. a lot of times you do these interviews and they'll have... You know, these mm-hmm. Wranglers before, you know, just don't mention Journey if you mm-hmm. could. Just don't talk about that. And it's like, wait, that's that's my about? job. I mean, I'm going to look like the ass if I don't bring up the question, if I don't I address the elephant in the room. Right. And, and sometimes you do that, or at least personally, I don't know when, how you go into interviews. I'll have questions that I'm not supposed to ask. And those are like the last couple of questions I'll yep. ask just in case they hang up. Yeah, that, and also you can just feel the immediately the vibe between you and the person yeah. you're interviewing. So and kind of disarm them before the end, and then say, "Well, what what exactly happened? A lot of fans are, are upset. You never together. Yeah. What happened to Jordan? If they feel safe with you, they'll tell you. Right. But I but, I will say, like, he was way ahead of the game on that like mental health thing that yeah. everybody talks about now, and you know. And Bob and Steve were quick to just ask, "What happened? <laughs> you know, yeah. didn't didn't pull any punches there. Well, it, and via satellite, that's cool. That was." Like that was the Cadillac interviews back in the day. If you got, we did an interview with ACDC on satellite. It's like, no way I'm talking through a how would satellite. That, how would that happen in this studio? Like I just had so a nerd had the, curiosity. We had this big, big uh, ass dish on top and then all these transformers in the back. And we'd have to get the transporter, uh, transporter codes onto which one it was and go and then dial it in. And it'd come through the board and, uh, right? oh, just amazing. <laughs> and so yeah, I remember my first one, I was like, just stunned. <laughs> And now, you know, connectivity is so easy. It's it's almost dumb. And just like the reason they could ask those questions, too, if you think about it, is now a lot of times when we get interviews in the studio, all of that information is already been asked. It's already out there when they do these radio tours or whatever. But that is not the case. Like with this, nobody uh, had access to all of this info he was giving. You know, yeah. it was it was fresh, fresh Good job, Bob, <laughs> Steve. Good job. And uh, that was pretty cool. Steve Perry, you're the man. Yeah. We'll see you in 10 years. <laughs> so 10-year wave. The funniest thing, too, is they talk about uh, this wave of bands getting back together. Just proof. Bands break up. They get butt hurt. And then eventually they all come around again. And nostalgia wins. It's, nostalgia wins. Yeah. Except for Journey. I don't think they're going to be back together. <laughs> I'll eat my words, maybe. We'll uh, see. The guy they've had, hasn't he been in the band longer than yeah, Steve Perry? Yeah, he was. Uh, he, they found him on YouTube, on the infancy years of YouTube, uh, a guy from the Philippines, right? That right. just like sounds exactly like Steve Perry, but maybe he's not as sensitive. Easier to tour with. He, uh, he wears white pants, though. Does he really? God, I'm going to rock some whites now. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back. Well, there you go. Quality time with Steve Perry here inside the Keto Vault. Sean, thanks for uh, the knowledge. Yeah. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you like what we do, be sure to subscribe. New episodes every Monday. And uh, give us a good rating. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Thanks for being a part of Keto's Vault.